Are you listening? Damn. And welcome back once again to the Endurance Hour podcast. Back alongside Kona coach Wendy Mater. I'm Dave Erickson. Glad to have you with us this week. I'm a little chilly right now, Wendy. Just did my uh, cold plunge. Actually, mm-hmm. I got my sweatshirt on here. Cold plunge about a half hour ago, which is my fifth or sixth one since I got the uh, the, the tub uh, a week and a half ago, and it's been so good. I've been recording these and putting these on the Endurance Hour YouTube channel. Still got goosebumps, uh, but it really kickstarts my day. Have, have you had any experience with? I know you've probably done some uh, ice baths post workout, but what about doing something like that as a recovery? protocol for you yeah i mean when i when i learned more about win wim hof uh, method a few years ago i used to jump in i i i I took some acclimation to it but i would go in the lifetime outdoor pool in the winter time so it was in the mid 50s i think it got as low as 45 according to the thermometer that i was bringing into the pool and when it was that cold i would just aqua jog so I would go waist deep, and mm-hmm. I'm just someone who just can't sit, sit, stand still. So I would just be aqua jogging while I was doing it, and I just thought it felt so good. Yeah. Um, on my, you know, after a weekend of, of longer intense training or any day, and it just felt really good. And when it was in the that mid 50 range, like 55 to 60, I was getting in slowly up to my um, neck level. Ooh, and just yeah. trying, you know, once you get there, finally, then it's a lot easier to stay there. I think the hardest part is just getting there. Yep. Sometimes you just got to take the plunge. So after I did this for a period of time, and then it got warm, and then I stopped, and then I did it again the following winter, I would just run outside and dive in. So I wouldn't even allow myself to slowly get in. I would just dive right in the head, everything. Yeah. And I would try to swim across uh, 25 meters. And then that allowed me to Usually, usually I would just jump right out, but sometimes I was able to stay in longer once I got fully submerged. Well, I've it's been doing these things. Awesome. I'm, I'm calling them cold plunge diaries. Uh-huh. Uh, just kind of, you know, I think I'm at a hundred days or real close to a hundred days until Ironman, Arizona, which I need to talk to you about afterwards. And, um, some of these, the diaries based on topics, you know, on my route, my, my journey to this, this Ironman. And today was about time and temperature. And they, the recommended time is between three and five minutes daily, if you can. And uh, temperature sweet spot is 50 degrees, although they can say, you know, you go to 43 to whatever or 35, uh-huh. you know, somewhere in the 40s would be even better. But whatever your body can tolerate, whatever's uncomfortable, but something you can handle from three to five mm-hmm. minutes. And uh, I was about seven, uh, six and a half, seven minutes today. And I've been going from five minutes until seven or eight minutes. And it's okay. I, apparently, guys, because of testosterone, my wife told me this, is that's why, or at least her, her excuse, of why she can't go very long. She says, uh, men can do it longer because they had more testosterone in their body. So well, if that's true, maybe. But I also have 60 pounds on her, so I've got more insulation. Maybe that's yeah, why that's I can handle more. Yeah, that's usually what it is. Yeah. It usually has to do with size and body yes. weight. Yeah. Mass, mass, body mass. Yeah. Either way, today was uh, less um, less screaming, not screaming, but you know, mm-hmm. ah, less of that getting yeah. into the water than it has been since last week. But because I know what to expect, decent deep breathing before I get in, mm-hmm. and um, plus I'm out on the deck. The sunshine, the sun rises right on our backyard, which is where the the deck is and where the tub is. 
And that's very helpful. Oh my gosh, what a great start to my morning. But I'm still a little chilly right now. But that's part of what cold plunging or cold showers or cold immersion is about is is letting the body warm itself up after the fact. Mm -hmm. The shivering is, you know, helping you stay warm and you're uh, pumping the metabolism and the blood flow and the stress goes lower. I'm a little anxious right now because the podcast, plus I'm cold, so I'm talking a little faster. Let me slow down and let's get into our questions for this week's podcast. So thank you so much for sending these questions and for those of you in the, the community who are posting them. This from Amy. Hi, Wendy. I finished my first triathlon, Boulder 70.3. I feel underprepared for climbs and elevation gains changes on the bike course coming from a flatland area of Maryland. My question to you. What phase of training should hills start to be a regular staple to prepare for uh, an upcoming race and how often? What do you think? I think anytime, anytime in your training, whether it's the beginning, middle, or end, you should be doing hills because there are so many benefits to hill training, both running and cycling, from technique, endurance, strength, for sure. And then as you build um, some volume, and get into the later phases of your training plan, then you can add like intervals, tempo work, threshold work, speed work on the hills, especially because you've already been doing it throughout the phases um, of the training plan. So when I moved from Michigan to Colorado, I think the first year, um, the, the hills were really struggled. I struggled big time with the hills and the foothills and the mountains. And so I had to change the cog cassette on my bike, I had to get a smaller chain ring in front and I had to get some smaller ones in back just so I wasn't like always standing and barely turning the pedals over. And that helped me a lot. And then I, for me, I just committed because I could, I lived, you know, it was just a five mile spin, three to five mile spin until I got to the foothills. And so I committed to doing all my training in the hills. And as I got more fit and stronger, I was able to actually do some hill climbing at a recovery effort, recovery heart rate, recovery power pace, whatever you're trying to de- use to determine intensity. And and so it's just something that takes time to adapt to. So definitely, if you have a if you live in an area with hills, don't avoid them because they're hard. They will get easier, and then you'll just get stronger. That you can you can make them as hard or as easy as you want to. Generally speaking, though, kind of backtracking, um, all the plans that we've created on Training Peaks and pretty much depending on the athlete I'm personally coaching, if their course is going to have a certain amount of elevation gain and loss, when we get, for sure, if we have one already, when we get to the um, middle phases, the race specificity phase of training, that's when it's ideal to ride and run on the terrain that your race is going to have. And of course, like Boulder 70.3, all the, all those hills come in the beginning. I think it's a two loop course. So you're going to get them in the beginning of the first loop, and then you're going to get them in the beginning of the second loop. And then there's a lot of downhill. So I think for that type of course, I would also train for me because I'm, I'm competitive and I'm going to compete. I'm going for a certain time, not just to finish. I would have to train my body to um, feel comfortable going fast on the downhill section because there is quite a bit of downhill for every uphill. There's generally a downhill. So definitely at, um, if possible, all phases of training, but for sure in the race specificity phase, which is usually eight to 12, 12 weeks out from race day. So I just typed in here looking for, um, chain rings for climbing and this kind of 
breaks it down a little bit by mountain biking as well. But they say here, road racing bikes typically have two chain rings, 52 teeth in the big ring, and then 32 in the small ring. This is uh, sometimes referred to as a standard double. And the easiest way to get lower gears with this setup is to convert your entire crank set to a compact double, which has a 50-tooth big ring and a 34-tooth small ring. And they say for road bikes with three chain rings are typically in the range of 52, 42, and 30. That sounds more like um, mountain biking, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, because they, they say there's a hybrid uh, option here as well. And they say, if you're switching to a mountain bike cranks, those are usually 44, 32, 22 mm-hmm. for the front. So for, for, for triathletes or road bike, uh, we're looking at 53s. Is that what we're looking at? Or what's your combination? I think, I think I have a 53. I might have a 54. Okay. So and then the one in the one in the, the cassette and back just depends on the wheel that I'm using, but usually I'll use an 11, yeah. 25. Okay. You know, when I lived in Colorado and I did this event called the triple bypass, the first year I did it, it was, my legs were really struggled because I didn't have enough gearing as much as I wanted to. So I think the third time I did it, I borrowed my friend's wheel cause she had a 34 in the back and that made it so much easier because I was spinning more on the mountain passes like Vail Pass and Loveland Pass. Okay. Okay. Well, hopefully it helps uh, answer part of Amy's question. She did have a here. She said that my pace slowed toward the end of the bike and the run was so hot that I walked more than I planned. We've all been there. Could have hydrated more and was happy that she finished. But now what? Uh, is any any indication of how the bike went for her or what happened where she had a, a rougher run than usual, just wasn't prepared well, for the hills? You know, I think congratulations. Your first triathlon is a 70.3. Yeah. You know, that's great. Usually I like to have athletes do a sprint or an Olympic um, before they do a 70.3 just to get more experience. So for Amy, you know, just getting more racing experience, 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, sprints Olympic, half Ironman triathlons is going to go a long way. And it sounds like she's learned a lot. You know, she learned that she needs to do more hill work. If, you know, when she goes back home to Maryland, hopefully she'll find some terrain or train hills, like on a thing like Zwift or trainer road or some sort of indoor training app. Um, Maybe some strength training is going to, well, not maybe, but for sure strength training, if she hasn't been incorporating that is going to be helpful. Um, as she, you know, moves on to her next season and, and, you know, you just learn about pacing, you know, even though you may have followed a plan and and you tried to, um, learn a little bit about pacing during the plan. It's really when you get experience racing that you really learn that kind of thing. You know, if you went out too hard, it's your first one, you don't, you don't really know yet what that really means. You probably may want to ease back a little bit in the beginning, especially because the hills are in the beginning. Um, so you'll just get experience with pacing and I'm sure, you know, just, you know, doing your first one, having a half marathon after 56 miles, that's a lot. And so not knowing exactly what you did, but you know, one thing you could do is, is specifically intentionally incorporate walk breaks into your run training where right from the get go, you're running a certain amount of time and then you're walking like a run four minutes, walk one minute. And that will prevent you from possibly walking, you know, the last two or three miles if that's something that happened. 
And then, you know, it's always hot in Boulder, but I would always expect it to be hot anywhere I race. Because if you can manage hills, wind, and heat, you're going to be stronger than most people on race day. So always, um, you know, jot down how much you drank and what you ate and drank the day before and the morning of. So you have a record of what you did. So you can look at that and see, you know, oh, you know, I only had one water bottle on the bike. That's what I did on my first 70.3, you know, like 30 years ago. I only had one water bottle on the bike and I cramped. And so, you know, just, you know, making a note of everything. And so you can, you can improve on it and something to work on for your next event. Amy, thank you so much. as far as now what, you know, maybe maybe you're excited, maybe there's still time to enter a couple more races before the season ends. But if not, you know, you might be ready to kind of approach an official off season where you're, you know, you're doing other things, other activities, um, just maintaining some fitness until you figure out what your next event to train for is going to be. Good question, Amy. Uh, I'm going to put you on a spot here, uh, Coach Wendy. Uh, we just got the July-August 2022 edition of Triathlete Magazine. Uh, I got that. It's uh, 40 Years of Triathlon featured inside, uh, USA Triathlon Magazine, USA Tri. And in it, they've got uh, three different sample training workouts based on Sprint to Olympic, Olympic to 70.3, and 70.3 to Ironman races and some training guidelines. We offer a free sprint triathlon program for anybody on endurancehour.com. It's a free download, uh, but we also have every other program you can think of from beginner to intermediate at all levels on Training Peaks. If you type in Wendy Mater or Coach Wendy Mater, you'll find that on Training Peaks. All our plans are there. And what makes ours different is that we have video coaching incorporated into the plan uh, as part of it uh, before every major training block and sometimes every week of training. So with the, the sprint triathlon plan that we have for free on endurancehour.com, Wendy, how many hours a week does a person need to train or need to have available to train to do a sprint? Generally, like, you know, three to four hours. That's it. You know, even starting, even starting, if you're following like an eight-week to 12-week progression, starting, you know, at, at, eight, at two hours a week where you're doing 20 minutes, um, 20 to 30 minutes a day. Or, or, or 20 to 30 minutes, three to four days a week, depending on your fitness level starting the program, depending on your background, if you have a background in swimming, cycling, or running. But our plans, our sprint plan is in that three to four hour per week range. Before you move on, I, I don't want to forget this. When I used to get all these magazines, I, I, I have like, I have a stack of them. I have them from like the last 20 years. And I was going through them this weekend. I used to cut out workouts from a magazine like USA Triathlon, Runner's World was pretty popular back then. And I would see a workout and be like, ooh, that looks like fun. I'm going to cut it out and put it in a scrapbook. And then I would collect all these workouts in my scrapbook and I would do them. And that was my training plan back when I started 30 years ago. Well, wasn't that kind of um, the foundation or the uh, the idea behind your, uh, was it 101 swim workouts made easy that we have as well? Yes. That exactly. you keep track of all these swim workouts you've done over the years. And mm-hmm. I, I have a swim baggie down in, in the, the basement in my Ziploc bag. I have a bin that has swim, you know, swim equipment, bike equipment, and so on. And I have a baggie there that has note cards of swim workouts that I would just collect. Or like, you know, you put them uh-huh. in the, the baggie and you put them on the, the swim deck and you can look at, okay, okay, I'm doing this set next. Okay, cool. But I just kept them. And then it's like a big yeah. stack. 
So that was like all these note cards, these this um, scrapbook of swim workouts that yeah. kind of inspired this uh, plan that you created. Yeah, it was fun. So this uh, inside the magazine here, and I won't get to the uh, Olympic to half and half to the full plan, but they say sprint to Olympic requires seven to 10 hours per week. And they say to be successful at Olympic distance racing, you're looking at seven to 10 hours. Um, it looks like two swims, three runs, three rides, and some of these being brick sessions. As a guideline, be comfortable swimming between two and uh, 2,000 and 2,500 yards within a session, riding well over the Olympic distance of, of, of cycling. They say, you know, at least 40 miles, even though it's 40K, and managing a long run of eight miles, which could include a walk-run strategy. And they also give a couple sample workouts of the swim, bike, and run. Olympic to 70.3, 10 to 12 hours. Olympic uh, 70.3 to an Ironman is 12 to 14 hours per week. And I don't know if these are just uh, like for beginners or basic, but they also you know break it down like, hey, you need to be able to do this, you need to be able to do that, and they give samples. That sounds to be right on target of what you would coach too. Yeah, you know, again, I you know all our plans we are specific in the description of where we think an athlete should be in terms of training volume with swimming, biking, and running before they start the plan. A lot of athletes are above that, but they want to start lower anyways. Um, some athletes aren't quite there yet, so they give themselves time to get there before they start a plan. In my mind, obviously, if you can't swim yet, you need to learn how to swim before you start a training plan, and that's just my opinion. Yeah. There's a lot of athletes out there who sign up for a race, like a 70.3 or 140.6, a year in advance, and then they come to me and they can't swim that well at all. And at least we have a year to get them there, but I always encourage athletes, make sure you know how to swim. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes signing up for a race motivates you to learn how to swim, and that's great. It's a good motivation. This from George, I see from your Strava account that you have run on the self-motorized treadmill. Do you like it? I'm talking about, probably talking about you, right, Wendy? Yeah. Uh, running on Woodway, never heard of that term, has been my goal to try. I'm so used to running on a traditional treadmill, and I know it's not healthy to spend more than 60 minutes on it. I don't know about that part, about healthy, uh, which is relative. Um, uh Woodways. What can you yeah, talk about so, Woodways? So the Woodway is a treadmill. It's a curved treadmill and it's self-motorized. So when you get on it and you start running, you're running at your natural pace. You're determining how hard you're going to go. And then when you stop running or you slow down, the treadmill slows down. So you're not running at a dictated pace that you have to set on the more traditional treadmills. Since I started on running on the Woodway, I, it's, I can't go back to... Um, a, a regular or otherwise traditional treadmill because it just feels so different. Mm. And again, the whole natural running motion is, is what I'm encouraged by more than anything. And, and back in the day, more or less when I lived in Colorado and we would have harsher winters, I would spend weeks, days and weeks indoors on a treadmill. And I'm not so sure that's always the best way to go if you're prone to injuries um, and again, depending on your running gait, I'm not sure if that's the best way to go, but I've run hours on the treadmill. So I've never heard that running more than 60 minutes on a treadmill isn't healthy 
or is going to cause an injury. And I also know that, you know, just depending on your current gait and, and all your training volume, more or less that you're already doing, running on a treadmill at an unnatural speed. So if you force yourself to run at a speed, that's not your current training speed zone. You could get hurt because it's happened to me. And again, the Woodway, yes, I love it. It's the only one I run on when I run on the treadmill. And does it have a regular readout screen that shows you how fast you're going? It does. And I'm glad you brought that up. I actually created some some videos of me running on the Woodway as well as a traditional treadmill. And we downloaded them on the Endurance Hour YouTube. I really I share them a lot with other athletes um, to look at running form. So on a Woodway, I find that when I'm running at a 4.0, which is generally a 15-minute mile pace on a traditional treadmill, it's way faster. Like my effort is a lot more running at a 5.0 and 6.0 mm. than my effort would be running on the traditional treadmill that shows me that I'm running at a 5.0, 12-minute mile up to a 6.0, a 10-minute mile. So I, di- I, don't, I don't run by distance. I just run by time and effort when I'm on the woodway. So when I'm feeling, when I'm going to do like, maybe I've done interval sessions on it before I'll run, you know, like two minutes at my own rate of perceived effort hard. And then I do my recovery and, and the distance, I don't really, I'm not concerned with the distance at all. I'm just concerned with the time. And with the woodway, do you have a incline perception or can you adjust that? That's another good question. Yeah, there's a lever on the right uh-huh. that you can make it hard or easy. I think there's four or five different um, levels of effort. And so when you when you crank it all the way up, you can barely walk. It's like, you know, you're climbing a very steep mountain. And then again, as you get more fit, then you're able to run at that um, at that level. And it's kind of encouraging that you're like, okay, I can actually spin the treadmill a little bit at this hard level. But they show pictures of kind of the, the goal of each level. You know, this is the, the hiking up the mountain. This is running, mm. running at this, at the track or something. And I do attribute and my cadence since I've started working on it has always been on the, a little bit high, but when I run on the woodway, my cadence is really high. And I feel like that's helped me increase my run cadence in it, a good beneficial way. Is your cadence higher? Cause you feel like you're going to lose your balance as it kind of, you're kind of a full lean forward a little bit cause it's a uh, rolling yeah, I mean, at first, that was why when I first stepped on a woodway, I got right off because I felt like this is weird because I didn't know of the different I didn't know the different levels. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know I could slow myself down by making that a harder level. But now when I'm running at a just a comfortable pace, I'll keep it on level two or three. But when I'm doing my speed work, because I want to I want my higher cadence when I'm doing my speed work, I'll keep it all the way on level zero or one. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, they're great. I think it's a great way to run because it's your natural form and i've said this to other people because i was coached on on this when you're on a treadmill you need to have at least well at least maybe 1.5 to 2 percent incline to get the feel of being outside otherwise you're a Mm -hmm. hamster otherwise you're not really running like with your woodway you are forcing the motion the the gravity is is part of it whereas a treadmill if you're flat zero percent you're just trying to you're just keeping up with the the belt i mean it's easier just to Right. Do that versus having to have an incline where you're pushing against something to give the impression of a right. gravity or yep. hills. Yeah, that's a good point. And I love my Peloton. I mean, I know it's spendy, it's a spendy option, but you could have immediate incline changes and speed in changes that are so fast. And uh, I don't know, I just love it. But uh, yeah, there's benefits to so many different things. You can always find a benefit to something and I'll always, always, always find an argument to something else. 
Okay, I want to move on to um, this from James. Feet getting numb when cycling and also have developed a little constant uh, pins and needles in my heel. Uh, don't really affect me, but there is this, the sentence here. I mean, I need to start over here. James, your sentences in grammar are killing me. From James, my feet are feeling numb or getting numb when I'm cycling, and I've developed a little constant pins and needles in my heels that don't really affect me, but is there anything I can do for it? Any advice or opinions on the compression boots? This must be a second question. Uh, being a bit older and a big guy, so the legs suffer. Oh, my gosh. James, can you get out, talk about the pins and needles when cycling? Yeah, I mean, this has happened with an athlete I coached last year. His... He and he it didn't really affect him until Ironman race day, unfortunately. So he didn't have this knowledge beforehand while he was training because he, again, he his weather really impacted his training, so he didn't get in, in that many long rides like we anticipated. So when it came to that Ironman distance race, he had numb feet, tingling, and that really impacted the ride as well as the run. And he had an issue. I can't remember the name of what he was diagnosed with. But my first recommendation is go get diagnosed. Usually when you have like a pin or needle poking feeling, it's it could be neurological. It could be a, you know, I just texted this to an athlete I coach. She might have Morton's neuroma. Um, she's feeling some toe thing going on right now. And I'm like, it could be Morton's neuroma. Maybe she needs new shoes. Maybe she needs an insert in her cycling and or running shoes. Um, so yeah, definitely, you know, get it, go to a professional physical therapist or someone you trust that's going to be able to look at you, analyze you and tell you exactly what's going on before it gets worse. And if you're getting those feelings, then you're more likely to compensate and possibly get another injury somewhere else. This one from Frank, Frank wants to qualify for world 70.3 in Finland next year. A great aspirational goal. He completed an Ironman last year, focused on 70.3 this year, has some setbacks due to illness, work, life, and he missed qualifying for Finland by one slot. So at least, you know, it kind of says that he's a high level athlete here. What do you recommend as the best plan of action for him? Um, now until his next qualifying race and what are your recommendations on qualifying races? So, um, I would recommend, so there's a lot, there's a lot in this question. There's a lot of avenues, ways I can go with this, but first, if you're trying to qualify, the best way to guarantee a qualification in a 70.3 or 140.6 is to win your age group. The first person in their age group always gets a slot. Sometimes there's two or three. Sometimes for larger men's age groups, there's four, five, or six slots. And I'm thinking more for the 140.6. When it comes to the 70.3, it's a little bit more generous because people turn down their slots. You could go, um, you could get 10th place in your age group, and the first nine people don't want to go. And so it roll, what's called roll down, it rolls down to you. So when you go to the awards ceremony at a 70.3, you, you first go to the awards and see what people take the slots who finished top in their age group, and then you go to the roll down. And I'm finding, especially the last few years, um, with COVID happening and just a lot of other changes in life, that that 70.3 world championship slot has gone really deep into an age group. Like, like, like in my mind, that age group really 
that person didn't really qualify, but but kudos for them for going to the roll down and taking the slot. And so you want to get fast enough so you have more potential to win your age group. So when you're looking at races to possibly, you know, go as your key qualifying race, you know, go to a, a race that suits your strengths and weaknesses. If you're a if you're a great climber, choose a hilly bike course. If you're not so great at climbing, then choose a flat bike course or something, you know, think about things like that. If you're, you know, if you're a weak swimmer and you choose a downstream venue, um, most people are going to be faster, not just you. So that's not always the way to go. If you're thinking about, I want an easy swim because then everyone's going to be faster because the current's going to push them downstream. So really focus on the bike and the run more than anything. And you know, we're going, it's August, we're going into, some people may have started their off season, out of season type of focus right now. So make sure you don't blow off the off season and take too much time completely off. I think taking some time off is, is needed and it's appropriate, especially if you've ended the last race of your season, that's the best time to take time off, but make sure you follow a plan of what you want to focus on in the off season. For example, if you struggled with running this season, maybe you want to do an off-season running plan. If you focus with cycling, maybe you want to focus with on cycling in the off-season, same with running. And Dave and I have actually created um, four separate off-season plans on Training Peaks. One's a multi-sport, one's bike-specific, one's run-specific, and one is swim-specific. Um, and you may want to, something else I would do is, again, focus on speed by doing some 5K and 10K runs. And, and get away from this half Ironman distance of 56 miles of biking, half marathon, and work on the shorter distances. So if there's still time left in your season, jump into some sprints and Olympics and race, get the racing experience as much as you can. And we got word a few weeks ago that the Ironman World Championship, and I can't remember if it's this year or next, probably next year, right, is that uh, they're going to have two separate days, uh, a men's race and a women's race. And that means they can have more participants in each category. Mm -hmm. So there's more opportunities to qualify. They kind of had to do this. You know, if you think about it, the more and more races they're uh, adding to the schedule throughout the world, they've got to make room for more people. So this was kind of a natural evolution of the sport. So you have more room. And you're talking about go to a race that suits your strengths. And I'm thinking also be willing to travel to uh, a race that, might not have a lot of participants. Right. Be willing to go to Asia. Be willing to go to maybe, I don't know about Europe so much, but be where South America or Central America. Yeah, I mean, if it's really a goal, that's definitely something to look at. I didn't even think about that, but definitely. Um, I know I had a girlfriend who would go, I think there was a race in China mm -hmm. that she'd always go to. I mean, it's very much an expense, and so yeah. you have to have that funding, but she would go to China and qualify I think it was for a Kona slot. It may have been for a 70.3 slot. I don't remember. But I'm like, kudos to her. That's great. Yeah. Whatever it takes, you know, just keep focusing on your goal and don't give up. And that probably is why there's so many uh, roll downs for the 70.3 World Championships because it moves so often as opposed mm -hmm. to everyone knows where uh, the Ironman World Championship is. It's been that way for, except for this year in Utah, that 
oh, I don't want to, I can't afford to go to Finland or uh, I'm in a different country. I can't travel there as easily or because it is in my country, I will take it. And other people who are halfway across the globe can't take it. So mm-hmm. it, it makes sense why there's these huge row downs. But if that's okay with you and you're willing to wait 10 slots and willing to travel, then there is a way to get there. Yeah, definitely. And just don't, don't take the off season off, out of season, off season, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Maintain some fitness, work on your nutrition, maybe that, you know, work on your recovery, your nutrition, um, make sure you're fresh starting your race preparation phase whenever that's going to start and give yourself plenty of time to progress towards your goal. Yeah. Hey, uh, there were some uh, big things happening over the last weekend. Um, in, in addition to you doing a race, we'll get to that. Um, former mem- former friend and uh, uh, guest of the podcast a number of times, uh, Sister Madonna Booter, who's actually from Spokane, where I am right now, uh, just finished the age group nationals in Wisconsin. Is that right? In Milwaukee, yeah. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at the age of 93. She started doing triathlons at the age of 52 and has done 40-plus Ironmans uh, since and uh, just did the uh, age group nationals. Was that the sprint or Olympic distance? Do you recall? I don't recall, but I saw her, her time. video of her finishing. It was yeah. like three hours, right? Yeah, just under three hours. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I didn't even think about that being the sprint, but for possibly, her, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Yeah, a few years ago, she was attempting again to open a new age group uh, for, I don't know if she was doing a 70.3, which would have qualified her for Kona, but yeah, her her Ironman days are over. Her 70.3 days might be over. I mean, come on, 93. She's she's doing triathlon, so it's not like she has to you know keep on breaking world records. She's 93 and, and still finishing triathlons, and that's awesome. I did a podcast with her. This sounds kind of funny. Mm-hmm. I put a camera in the car. I went to go pick her up to take her to a local triathlon event where she was speaking at my triathlon club. And I asked her, yeah, can I just press record? And I talked to her from the time I picked her up at her house mm-hmm. to take her to, to uh, our club event and made a podcast out of it. And then also recorded a little chat that I had with her in front of our group. Um, I've known That's her awesome. for a long time. Actually, when I used to work in TV at the ABC affiliate here in Spokane, she came on the show and was talking about, I think it was Iron Nun was her book. Yeah. And that was the first time I met her. And I actually mispronounced her last name, which I guess isn't that hard. The first time I saw her name, I said Madonna Butter because B-U-D-D-E-R. I didn't know it was Booter. Uh-huh. Um, and then since... Uh, Butter. I, I, I could see that. Since then I interviewed her on, on, on set... Uh, developed a friendship with her and because she's in triathlon, because she's in Spokane, I was able to bump into her in our circles and um, develop a friendship with her. Obviously, I'd go to her house, pick her up and drive her to our club event. And um, yeah, she's um, a really great, a great person, a great ambassador of the sport and um, lets you know, uh, here's the cliche, that anything's possible. And then she's a, a living, walking example of that. And then at Ironman 70.3 Hanu, I was covering the race. Um, I think I was covering. The, I must. Have, yeah, I was covering the race because I ran with her the last mile or mile and a half, probably the last mile of the race, and, and recorded chatting with her. And you know, we weren't nice. we're not going that fast, but and and the last part of that race, I think, is on a golf course. It was all grass. 
the last part of the run and it was slightly downhill. So I caught her at this A station and then jog with her down. And, uh, you know, she talks, she'll talk to anybody, but because she knew me, it was a little easier to like, all right, sister, how's it going? And, you know, tell me about your, your race. That was a 70.3. Must've been in 2011, 12 or 13. I can't remember nice. which. And yeah, little walk down memory lane that she just finished her, uh, a race at 93 this last weekend. And then you mentioned just to throw it out there that, uh, the water temperature Ironman Alaska was 56 degrees. Yeah. So I coached an athlete who, who raced and there is a limit. There is a, a low limit that Ironman says is too dangerous. I mean, 56 degrees. So they did one loop of the 2.4 miles. So they exited at 1.2 mile and I was really confused because some people had some extremely long transitions. So I, I couldn't find where Ironman was posting this or you know, live casting this. So I didn't really know what was going on, but I coached an athlete who did it. And I had a friend who did it, mm -hmm. who each took like 30 minutes in transition. Wow. So I just assumed they were taking that time to warm up. And then I actually thought maybe the weather's bad. So maybe everyone's they're holding everyone back and they're going to do like a time trial start to restart the bike due to the weather conditions. But, um, unfortunately the athlete I coached, she hurt her toe. And so she had to take the time for them to bandage up her toe cause it was bleeding pretty bad when she came out of the water wow. and she finished, she finished in about 15 hours. She had a great race. And then my other friend who I know from Colorado, she had a flat tire. So when she entered transition, her tire was flat so she had to stand in line with the bike mechanic so they could change her flat tire for her so both long transitions and then i as i was watching i figured that that extra 30 to 40 minute in transition would have been another loop of the course yeah and so it was really confusing to me what was going on and i was excited to talk to them or at least email get their email feedback um when they finished and both of them did finish so that was exciting and I just know the conditions were tough. You know, the air, the air temperature was really cool. And people said they had like all weather patterns throughout the bike course. And I was just really happy I wasn't there because I don't <laughs> really like that cold. I don't like the cold anymore. They had uh, about a thousand athletes participate. They had uh, 46 states, 30 countries involved, 45 slots, I think, for uh, the world championship. Uh -huh. And they had more volunteers than they had athletes. That's a uh, that's wow. awesome. Well, well you usually yeah. don't have only a thousand athletes, so that's but to have fourteen hundred volunteers involved in that race. In Juno, yeah. Yeah, in Juno. It's great that uh I think it's the first time they've had a, a full up there. The yeah. inaugural, yeah. The inaugural one, yep. Man. I'm looking at some photos. There's a endurance dot biz has some photographs from the race and you know it's going to be spectacular just like a a lake tahoe would be but even more so yeah or an ironman canada would be in whistler that's uh it's really neat yeah 45 qualifying spot spots yeah i'd like to go to alaska not to do an ironman not to do an ironman no i would just like to go to alaska oh yeah so the when i mentioned about having the, the split field a two-day event is in 2023 for Kona, obviously not this year, and you would know that because you're doing. Well, they are doing. They are doing that this year. Oh, they are splitting it. Yeah, because there's there's three years worth of athletes who qualified. Oh, because okay, so there's a number of reasons why they they felt this mm -hmm. is because of the backlog of COVID athletes, right? 
Yeah, so I they're doing that this year. The women race on Thursday, as well as for some reason the males twenty five to twenty nine. I also believe race on Thursday. Maybe they changed that. that. Maybe that was a different race. But the the men race on the traditional Saturday, and I I you know I understand why they're doing that this year. I thought they would wait to see how that went before they actually made that a commitment for future years. Um, but obviously they didn't wait. They think it's a good thing, and they're going forward with it. Uh, anything to motivate people to sign up for races too with so many more races you know people have to make a decision you know on one weekend you might could have three or four races throughout your mm-hmm. country or throughout the you know, united states for example and you have to make decisions and more races more slots uh they need to fill up those races so they gotta inspire people hey or motivate them hey come over here we got more slots over here right. we wanna... that's what they do i mean you got a new race you throw lots of slots at it to get the people exposed to that venue and get people to, yeah. to come there. You know, races used to fill up. Yeah. And like, there's still slots available, I believe, for Ironman Wisconsin, Ironman Florida, Ironman Arizona. All these, you know, September, October, November events are not full yet. So, um, yeah, we still got a chance. And that was one more thing uh, along the, the question of the gentleman who asked about qualifying. Who was that? That was Frank. Is qualify for a race that, um, a few people are in because they're in Kona. The, the best of the best are already there. So maybe right. do after the cutoff of that year's race, sign up. Yeah. Like sign like, yeah. Cause I think, I think the St. George world championship is in October this year. The Ironman world championship is always in October. So if someone can find someone's schedule allows them to do a 70.3 in October, that's probably your best chance to qualify. Cause everyone else, yeah. all the, you know, fast people are already at, a world championship event speaking of fast people perfect segue wendy uh you had a race this last week i didn't know you're doing a try maybe you didn't know either way uh you had a good event tell me about your your triathlon last weekend yeah so it's it's called the east cop triathlon it's it starts at mountain view aquatic center um it's three quarters of a mile away from my house i did it last year and it's a, just a really good fun local event it's a beginner event they have a sprint they have an Olympic, a sprint, a super sprint, and a kids race, and you can do teams. So you could be the swimmer, have someone else do the bike, and someone else do the run. And that's actually what got me in triathlon 30 years ago. Is I I did it. I was the swimmer on a team, and I was hooked just by watching. And so I was encouraging my swim team kids to do it. Unfortunately, they all had busy weekends and they couldn't participate. But it was just really nice to kind of wake up and and ride my bike over there and set up transition. And just kind of hang out and kind of remember what it was like to be a beginner. And last year, I ended up one or two guys beat me, and I was first female overall. This year, I don't know if those guys were even there, but I won the overall, and I just had a really good race. I dropped time in the swim, the bike, and the run, so that's always encouraging um, for me. is is always about trying to beat my time from yeah. previous years and similar weather conditions, same course. And so I felt really good about it because I wasn't expecting to be that much faster. I thought I, w- I was expecting, I'm like, I just hope I go at least the same time, maybe a little bit faster. And so that was really encouraging for me. It was fun. <laughs> it was just a fun event. I like supporting the locals. And it was a, a pool swim, right? It was a pool swim. It's called a snake swim. Mm-hmm. And so last year it, they had Mountain View aquatic center they had it set up in a 50 meter style so you would do 50 meters 
and then you'd move over a lane, do 50 meters, move over. And so you had to do that 10 times to make the 1,000 meters. This year, for whatever reason, they didn't have that, what's called long course set up, but they do have two, two 10 lane, 25 meter pool, 25 yard pool. And so we started, so that, so instead of going one way and switching lanes, we had to go down and back and then switch lanes down and back. And they did a really good job. They, they separated us by like 20 seconds. So there was plenty of room to pass someone. I never felt like I was going to have a head on collision with anyone. Um, you did have to get out of one pool, jog 25 yards, get in the other pool, and then you had to get out and jog 25 yards. So I felt with that extra, you know, 50 yards of running, I felt like that added up to a little bit more like a thousand meters rather than a thousand yards because that counted as your pool time. Oh. And um, I did lose my timing chip in the gutter. I did a flip turn, my timing chip came off. I always pin it. I forgot to pin it. Mm. So it was just, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, you don't want to take these things for granted, you know, but this yeah, yeah. was my first triathlon this year. So I'm kind of, it's a learning experience. It's always a learning experience. So I'm kind of glad that happened here. So I, it's not going to happen again. I'm going to make sure I pin my bib or pin my timing chip around my ankle mm-hmm. because it went in the gutter. And so I had to reach for it cause it was going away and I had to reach oh. for it, grab it, try to put it on my ankle. I couldn't put it on around my ankle. So I stuffed it down my swimsuit it stayed there. And then as soon as I got out of the swim, I had to fumble with trying to put it on so I could run over the timing mat and it could get a, an accurate uh, swim time. So that's just part of the fun for me. And the super sprint, is that like you, you, you do back to back triathlons, sp- short ones? Um, no, the super sprint was just a shorter distance than, oh. than the sprint. So I believe, so my, my race was a four loop bike course and a three loop run course. Mm-hmm. The sprint was probably two loops of the bike and two loops of the run, a little bit shorter. And then the super sprint was one loop of the bike. So the super sprint was about six and six miles and then one loop of the run. So super and then there's probably a, probably 500 yard swim. Okay. So something for all ages, all Something levels. for all ages. Yeah. And I just liked the camaraderie and the teams and the, there were a lot of kids. The kids were cool. fun to watch. That's the best. Yeah. That was the best. Um, one thing for me, and, uh, I was gone last weekend for four days, did no exercise and I got an Olympic in two days. And you and I talked about this probably off air that I'm just going to focus on having a good bike ride. Mm -hmm. Um, but because I haven't ridden much in the last week and a half, I think I'm going to make it a training day, uh, and be real casual. Can you hear that? Why? Yeah. Why? Um, because I haven't done a, any really training. I mean, yes, baby. Uh, yeah, I'm getting getting called called out to finish this podcast. Uh, just because I, I don't think I don't think you should use. I haven't trained a lot. I think you should just go do the best you can do. That's my advice. Well, the plan was to go hard on the bike and have a an, a relaxed swim uh-huh. and a relaxed run, real uh-huh. casual, super casual on both of those, uh-huh. just to have a hard bike to make a hard bike ride. So I'll probably still do that. It's a kind of a hilly bike, but I'll probably still do that and, and go hard on the bike. But it's everything else is going to be like, hey, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to be out here for three hours. Let me have I think I, that's okay. Let me jumpstart my next hundred days leading up to Ironman in Arizona with a a three hour exercise training day. And that's I think the that's, idea. I think that sounds good. You know, whatever you decide to do, have your intention. Know what your intention is. Mm-hmm. Go do whatever you're going to do, and then at the end of the race, you do a review and see if what you did was what you intended. 
There you go. That's the best way to learn. And then I'll talk about that next podcast. I love it. I'm excited. <laughs> um, I got uh, got a family calling, so let me wrap this up. Uh, this has been episode 368. Thank you, Wendy, uh, for the another great podcast, answering the questions, and for all of you who submitted those questions. Have a great week, everybody, of racing, training, and recovery. We'll see you next time. Adios. Adios.